Welcome back to Bible Time. We are in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Father, in Jesus' name, please teach us from your word. Comfort us from your word. Lord, help us to lean on you. Lead us and guide us, Lord, as we do this work. Lord, make a way for this work to be a blessing in other people's lives. And Father, use us for Christ's sake and Christ's glory. Amen. So here in our text, we have a contrast, but we brethren. And when he starts out, but we brethren, he's contrasting to the one, the people he was recently talking about. And who do you think that was? Who is he talking about recently that he's contrasting to? The Jews, that's right. And what were the Jews? Were the Jews being nice and sweet and sending love letters to the Thessalonican church? No, the Jews, he says, he'd laid several grievous charges um, at the feet of the Jews. He had thrown down the gauntlet, speaking to the Jews of um, the great sins that they had committed, speaking of those. And he had told the Thessalonican church, he had commended the Thessalonican church that they had become sufferers and that they had entered into what we called a heritage of suffering, which was our lesson um, on that verse, which is back in verse 14. They had entered into the heritage of suffering that marks the true church of Jesus Christ through the ages. And they had commended themselves before God and before man as being Christ's true church because they were bearing the marks of Christ, suffering for Christ's sake, suffering for the gospel's sake, suffering for righteousness' sake. And the spirit of glory and of God rested upon them just like God said it would, which is why they were such a successful church because they were suffering for Christ's sake, and they were doing it well. They were not embittered by it. They were suffering in faith, and the spirit of glory and of God rested upon them. And then he, when he commended them, he, said, he compared them. He told them that they were followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. And that lesson that we talked about um, on verse 15 is very, or there in the rest of verse 14, a heritage of suffering is very important. Listen to me. It is very important to know basic church history. You need to have a, enough of an understanding Understanding of basic church history to know the true from the false. If you know the true history of the church, you will not be so easily duped by all of these flashy counterfeits that are out there today. But if you can understand, get a good bo- Fox's Book of Martyrs. Do you hear me? <clears throat> get a Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, another book that will now fox's book of martyrs the the modern revisions of it include a lot of false christianity and in some of the old tales that they have some of those that they included may not have even been saved either Uh, but by and large fox's book of martyrs if you get an old book of it and not one of these modern revisions will be very good so here we're looking at this text that we brethren, we brethren, contrasted to the persecutors, contrasts, contrasted to those that are injurious, uh, there should be a difference between the church people and the world. There should be a difference not just in dress, not just in music, not just in honesty, not just in manner of life, not just in vocation. There should be a difference in the church house between the world and the church in love. God said they will know that you're Christians by by your love. And when you go in the church house, there should be a there should be a brotherly love and affection, not as Cain.
Cain who slew his brother, as the Bible says, not as Cain who slew his brother and was of that wicked one, but in the spirit of Jesus Christ, loving and serving one another. So he says, but we brethren contrasted to all these that are hurting them, contrasting to all these that are persecuting them, but we brethren being taken from you for a short time in presence. And this is where we want to spend most of our time here today, being taken from you for a short time being taken from you for a short time god is sovereign how many of you knew that today what does that mean sovereign is a word for an absolute authority whenever you have a king who rules with power like a hasuerus in persia in the book of esther you would say of him that he was a sovereign king whenever we talk about the jurisdictions of nations we say uh, if a nation has to obey another nation then they are not a sovereign nation but if a nation is free to determine its own laws then we say that that nation is a sovereign nation does that make sense sovereign s-o-e V-E-R-E-I-G-N, sovereign, sovereign. It's actually harder to spell out loud than it is to write it out. Who'd have thought? Spend more time writing it than spelling it verbally. Sovereign means that you are reigning. The last part of the word sovereign means to reign. It means that you have total authority. The United States of America is a sovereign nation. The United States of America does not have to answer to the UN or to the world court or to anything else like that. The United States of America makes its own laws and governs itself. It's a sovereign nation. Well, a Above all national interactions and above the interactions of a man in his home and above the interactions of any church are the dealings and workings of God who is sovereign over the universe. God is the ruler of the universe. God tells the sun where to go in the sky. And God tells the earth where to go and the stars where to go. God tells the birds when it's time to migrate. God tells the monarch butterfly that it's time to fly from Canada to Mexico across the entire United States. And those little butterflies by the thousands fly across the United States and go and land in the trees in South America. God tells them to do that. And people wonder at that thing. Did you know that the monarch butterfly will fly all the way south? It'll get born in Canada, in an egg laid in Canada. It'll get hatched out of the egg, grow its little larval stage and all that, and grow its wings and become a butterfly in its cocoon. And then it will fly around drinking nectar. And then one day, God puts it in the heart of those butterflies and they start flying south across all of the United States. Little butterflies, each of them flying by themselves, but flying by the thousands. They don't have trucks to drive. They don't have airplanes to ride. And they were born in Canada. They never saw Mexico. And they'll fly all the way across the United States, all the way down into Mexico, and find the tree that their mommy and daddy were born on and land on it and lay an egg and die. 
And then that little egg will hatch and the little worm will come out and eat things and become a butterfly and drink nectar. And, and then God will tell it someday to go and it will take off that next year or next season, whichever it is. I, didn't, I haven't studied it out. It's been a while since I've seen this stuff, but it will go all the way north across Mexico, all the way across the United States up to Canada to where its mom and dad butterflies had met and it'll find the area the place very near where it's where its own butterfly mother's egg had been laid not where its egg had been laid where its butterfly mother's egg had been laid and it has never been there before and it never even met its butterfly mommy because then it will die and the next egg will hatch after the butterfly dies so it didn't even get to hear about anything from its mommy even if they could talk which they can't how many of you knew that already you knew that i'm glad we got a couple smart ones here okay how do those butterflies know how to do that how many of you think that you, if you right now, as old as you are, could get dropped off in Canada and you by yourself could find your way with no help all the way to Mexico? Yeah, most of you not. Most people not. Now, you can learn some ways to do it with signs and stuff. Butterflies can't read signs. How do they know where to go? There's a simple answer to this. God tells them. That's exactly right. God tells the butterflies where to go. And we're going to see more of this as we look at some of the other scriptures that we have today because we're talking about this where they are taken from them for a short time. These are being taken from a short time. And if you're going to understand the bad things that happen in life and the good things that happen in life, you're going to have to first come to an understanding that God is sovereign. There is not one wave that laps the beach of New England, that God doesn't know about, that God hasn't controlled, that God hasn't watched over. Every wave that hits the beach, every current in the air, every bug that wiggles, every grain of sand on the seashore, every star in the heavens is under the control of Almighty God. So if God is so sovereign... If God is sovereign and he controls everything, how can these people be taken from the church? In three Sabbath days, they had three Sabbath days to preach the gospel to this church. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. This is something you have got to get in your heart if you are going to survive. How could they survive? Did you hear the list of the attacks from these, in these accusations? 
Galatians in verse 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And then he says, but we brethren being taken from you for a short time, being taken from you. Think about that for a second. And he told the church at Thessalonica, you've become followers of the churches in Judea. You've suffered like things of your countrymen. That means you've suffered murders. Some of the Thessalonians have been very likely from this very text put to death. For the cause of Jesus Christ, some of them had been driven out of town. Some of them had been forced to evacuate. All kinds of bad things had happened to these Thessalonians, and all of this had not shaken them. How could they go through these hard things without being shaken? God is sovereign, but shouldn't that make you more frustrated when bad things happen? No, if you have an unbelieving heart and mind, it will make you frustrated. If you think that you know what is best, it will make you frustrated. How many of you think that the very best thing that can happen is to get a big house and a nice car and have all the money in the bank that you need? Well, you've been listening to your to messages for a while, so that's why you're not all shaking your head. Yeah, that sounds great. It sounds pretty good, though, doesn't it? And have a swimming pool and a big yard and a swing set and nice cars and be able to go and do whatever you want and have everything nice. It sounds like that would be good, but God knows better, doesn't he? And God knows what you need. God knows if you need a daddy or a mommy. God knows if you need a brother or a sister. How does a family handle a brother dying, a sister dying? You're trying to serve God. How are you going to handle separation? Separation hurts. Separation is not nice. And that's what our text is right here this morning is dealing about this separation. He says that they were taken from you for a short time. Now, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but before we do, God is in control. Again, nothing happens in this whole world without his oversight, whether by God's own purposeful design or by God's permissive will, everything always and forever perfectly works together for God's glory number one, for our good, number two, and for the advancement of the gospel, number three. Go to Acts chapter 20. Everything in life, every single thing works together for good. Back um, years ago, there was a notable evangelist who God was using mightily in the churches of America, and one day the news report came across the nation that that evangelist had been in flying his plane to one of his church meetings. He had a little airplane to fly to these meetings um, because he had so many meetings all over the nation. He couldn't hardly get to them by car, and he was flying his little airplane, and the airplane went down, and it crashed. And all they found was broken, burnt pieces of metal, and the bodies of the evangelist and the three other people that were traveling to sing. He had three young ladies from um, from one of the young ladies' rescue missions that were going to sing a trio at the church, and they were riding with him, and all four of those people were dead. 
does God care? Why would God let that happen? God can keep birds in the sky. Why didn't he keep that airplane in the sky? That's not an easy question, is it? How did that man's family feel? Sad. How about that man's church? Sad. Do you think they wondered why God would let that happen? That would be hard, wouldn't it? Anybody think that would be hard? That would be hard. Everybody say it with me. God is in control. Romans 8, 28. Say it together. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. God is in control and he's going to work it together for good. Let's look at this separation in Acts 20, 17, and then we'll look at some of the different reasons for separation. Acts 20 and verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly, and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the elders at the church of Ephesus. They've met him there at Miletus and he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. Verse 22, and now behold, I go. They wanted him to say, I'm coming your way. We're going to have a Bible conference. I'm going to preach to you for a month straight. We'll work hard all day and I'll preach all night and we'll have a good old time because that was Paul's way. And they, that's what they wanted. And that's what they wanted to hear. But instead of hearing, I'm coming your way, he said, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Jerusalem was where the Sanhedrin was that killed Christ. Everybody knew Jerusalem was a rabbit against Christ and against his disciples. And the fact that Paul said it this way meant he's probably not going to come out of there alive. And they didn't like hearing that. Would you like to hear that? The Bible preacher, the Bible preacher who led you to Christ, who you love, is telling you he's going to one of the most dangerous cities in the world that hates his guts, where everybody wants to kill him, but that God is sending him there and he doesn't know what's going to happen. Would you want to hear that? No, you would want him to come home with you, right? And you would want to feed him some apple pie and some pumpkin pie and hear his stories and hear what he'd been doing and go to church with him and read the Bible with him and pray with him and work with him and, and give him a nice bed to sleep and, and show God how much you love God by loving on the preacher that brought you the gospel. But he's saying, I'm not going your way. I'm going bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and affliction abide in me <clears throat> he's saying bad things are going to happen i know that but i don't know what i just know it's going to be bad and i'm going 
Verse 24, but none of these things move me. And we've got to get here. Listen, listen to what Paul said. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He said, my life doesn't really matter as long as it brings glory to God. Whatever God wants from my life, whether I live another 50 years or whether I die at Jerusalem, whatever happens with my life, I want God to be glorified so long as I might, he says, so that I might finish my course with joy. I want to finish the race. Where's the finish line for your race? How long do you get to live? You don't know. But we're all going to die someday. Unless Christ comes back before then, we'll all die someday. Death comes to all men. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the ju- and after this the judgment. You have a race to run. Some people have a sprint to run, a short, fast race. A short, hard, fast race. Other people have a long marathon to run, a great, big, long, slow race that takes a long time. But we all have a race, and God's given us a race, and our race is for His glory. Paul used this example all through the Scriptures that our race was for His glory. He said that people in in Greece would run to get a corruptible crown, to get a bunch of leaves that they got off of Mount Olympus, where they felt where they thought that their false gods lived, and they would make a wreath that would go on the head of a winner, and men would train and work hard hard all year long to try and win a race to get a a twig leaf crown a corruptible crown and he said we have an incorruptible crown we have incorruptible riches in heaven we are running a race for the glory of God we're not going for Mount Olympus we're going to Mount Zion on the sides of the north the city of the great king we're going to heaven we're on our way to heaven and we don't know how long our race is but we want to run it to the glory of God and we want to finish our race in a way that pleases God he says I don't count my life dear unto myself he says if I go up to Jerusalem and die it's okay how many of you can say that today that'd be hard to say we don't need to lie about it it's not easy to say anybody that's got life loves life But Paul said, I count not my life dear unto myself. None of these things move me. He says, I want to finish my course so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And then look at what he says. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God. Look closely. Verse 25. Shall see my face no more. Wouldn't that just grab your heart? There's the Apostle Paul, and you love him, and he's ministered to you, and you all you want is to have more time with him, and he says, 
you will see my face no more. And he went on and exhorted them. He gave them many exhortations. He says here, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to, de to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He says, I'm free from your blood. I have warned you all. I've told you everything that I needed to tell you from God. He says in verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye, your, yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Verse 38, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Separation isn't easy. Paul was able to go because he counted his life not dear to himself. He was able to go and finish his course with joy, even though it meant separation from the people that he loved, because he had his eyes on heaven, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and on, and on the gospel that God had given him to preach. Now, he says here in 1 Thessalonians, he says that they were taken from you, this separation of the, from the Thessalonican church. He says, we were taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. Go to Matthew 6. We were taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. Separation in heart while being together in presence is unbearable. Did you follow that? When you are separated from somebody in your heart, but you have to live with them, it's torture. That's awful. Separation, better to be separated in body, but together in heart, than separated in heart and together in presence. Does that make sense today? The heart here is the key. He says, we were separated from you in presence, but not in heart. Now, how did they get separated? Remember, we've, been, we've already talked about it today. Think about it. How did they get separated? Did, did Paul get separated from Thessalonica because he wasn't getting enough support, so he had to go on deputation again? No. He says, I was taken from you. For a short time, there's many causes for separation. We're going to look at those here um, for just a second before we read Matthew 6. And we'll be starting Matthew 6 and verse 19 for those of you that want to sneak ahead. There's three basic categories I put down here of separation. You could have other categories or subcategories, however you want to do it. But 
we're going to look at a few categories of separation. The first kind of separation that takes place in our lives, separation from loved ones, may come because of choice. Somebody may make a choice. Somebody may join the military and get put on a um, Air Force base, let's say in Tokyo, Japan, like my dad was. My dad was stationed there. Um, I don't remember anything about any of that stuff. I was so young. Uh, I was really young whenever we got out of the Air Force when dad did but the um, dad was there in Tokyo Japan and he was separated from his mom and his dad and at that time it was really hard to get a phone call home at I forget what he told me uh, money was m- worth more then than it is now and I think he told me it cost like 60 70 bucks to call home for one conversation for one hour 60 or 70 bucks. He would call home once a month, if I remember right. It was something like that. And he would um, he'd get to talk to his mom and dad uh, once a month because it was so expensive to call home. They didn't have cell phones. They had telephones. And the trying to get it across from Japan was very expensive. But and I'm not sure how all that worked. But in any case, he was separated because he chose to join the Air Force. Now, there were pilgrims who came to America years and years ago. How many of you remember the pilgrims from studies? And the pilgrims chose to move to another country, and some of their people did not. So if somebody chose to live in Holland and somebody else chose to move to New England, then there would be a separation, wouldn't there? And that'd be a separation by choice. And those pilgrims had no cell phones, no telephones, no internet, no email, no radio. They had to send letters. If they could get paper and write a letter, they had to send it. And it might take it months and months to get there. So they would be separated basically for the rest of their life because they chose to move somewhere. How about that? Well, how can you love somebody and make such a choice? Well, people do it all the time, and they do love people, but they make the choice. They might make the choice because they want to escape religious persecution, and the other person might say, well, the persecution's not as bad as the dangers that await me um, in that new colony over there in America, so I'm going to stay here. And the other one says, I'm going to go there, and then they separate, and they love each other, but they came to different conclusions, And their different choices force a separation. Whenever the American West was being settled, a lot of times families on the East Coast, somebody would say, I'm not making good money. I've got debts I can't pay. I'm going to sell out and I'm going to move West. And so they would sell out, settle their debts, take a wagon and their oxen and some uh, farming implements, and they'd go west. And they would travel sometimes six, eight, nine months, sometimes a year and a half. They would travel to get to somewhere where they could try and find a piece of ground that they could farm. Where they would have a chance to just work hard and make a living. Because they didn't have it there. And when that would happen and they would leave on those wagons, a lot of times they would leave for the last time. Can you imagine getting in the back of a wagon and waving goodbye to all of your cousins, aunts, uncles, your grandparents, your friends, your home church, your pastor, everybody you ever knew in your whole life and you're waving bye-bye out the back of a wagon and you're going down the road and you know you will probably not see them again the rest of your life? 
missionaries would in those days, like Adoniram Judson. When Adoniram Judson left for Burma, it was, I think, 37 years before he got back to America. And he was back in America for seven to nine months. And then he left for Burma and died in Burma. So sometimes people separate by choice. Life brings separations upon us. So we need to listen. This this is all to adjust our thinking and get a biblical thinking. Uh, let's just look. Let's look at a couple verses in Matthew 6 and we'll look at some more separations. He says here, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's telling us, lay up your treasure in heaven. Some people would leave during the gold rush whenever somebody found gold in California, some people would pack up their whole families and go to California to find gold. Sometimes a daddy would go and he would say, I'm not making enough money. Honey, hold down the fort. I'm going to go find gold and we'll be rich. And he would go and he'd get on his horse and ride all the way across the nation and go down in those um, valleys and hills and the mountains, the Sierra Madre mountains or whatever they are down there in Southern California. And he would start trying to find gold. And next thing you know, he would be in debt because he wasn't finding gold. So he would have to borrow things, money from the store to buy supplies to stay alive and then he would find just enough gold to pay a little bit of debt so he could get some more stuff and next thing you know he couldn't afford to send any money home he can't afford to go home he's in debt there his family's struggling back there and they might even be separated for the rest of their lives because he tried to go find gold oh some of them hid it and made it rich and brought their families out but not most of them Most of them ended in a sad life of separation. Separation is a normal part of human existence. People separate for money. People separate for careers. People separate for all kinds of reasons. Let's look at a couple other reasons. Um, People separate by natural cause. Sometimes sickness causes quarantine. Somebody gets a certain kind of sickness and they may have to be um, put in a room so that nobody else gets their sickness and stay quarantined in that room for a long time. And you might not get to play with them or talk to them. Sickness can cause quarantine quarantine. Death can cause separation. Sickness can cause separation is what I meant to say. Death can cause separation. Think of the death of a lost man separated from God. Our sin separated us from God. When Adam sinned, the Bible says death passed on all men for that all have sinned. And our our sin separates us from God. It breaks the fellowship, breaks the communion, breaks our nearness, breaks our ability to dwell with God and God dwell with us. And it puts us in a position to suffer the awful wrath and fiery indignation of God. And without being saved a man that is lost will die in that state and go into the lake of fire to burn for eternity and to be separated from God and from everyone and everyone that he's ever known in his whole life hold your place in Matthew and go to Luke 16 
Go to Luke 16. Now the death of the saved is a whole lot better than the death of the lost. The death of the lost, what sorrow. But the death of the lost, what hope we have with the death of the lost because, or of the saved because they're separated for a short time. When a saved person dies, where do they go? To heaven. And where are you going to go when you die? Huh? If you're saved, you're going to heaven. And so if you're going to heaven and they're in heaven, then it is guaranteed that you'll be together. There's all kinds of separations on earth with no guarantee. Those gold miners had no guarantee they would ever see their family again. Trappers would go into the mountains to try and trap, and they might have a wife and kids on a homestead, but they're not making it, and, they've, he's, and he's got to do something over the winter to make ends meet. So he goes on his horse, and he puts his rifle up there, and he leaves his wife and his kids and survive, and, and to survive, and goes up in the mountains for six, seven, eight months of the, of the cold winter of the far north, trapping and trying to get enough furs to come back and buy what they need for next year and in the meantime he's up there in the cold he's up there in the snow he's up there amongst timber wolves and bears and mountain lions and he's trying to of course the bears would hibernate at least in the cold 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 but he's up there with the with all these wild animals and in those days with some pretty wild Indians that didn't like him trapping the animals in their territory. And there was danger and there's no guarantee, Mrs. Burks, that he'd ever come back. And so people will separate with no guarantee. But when a saved person dies, we have a guarantee of being reunited again. Hallelujah. What hope. There is no separation that is <coughs> less painful than the separation of the death of the saved. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's a guarantee. If you're saved, you will be with them again. Hallelujah. That should give you shout, something to shout about right there. Luke 16 here. You'd hold your place in Matthew 6 because we'll go back. Luke 16, 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain bagger, beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now the Jews would recline while they ate and so so it, just as it says that the apostle John would lie against Jesus's breast at supper, that would be in the bosom of Christ. And so here this beggar is laid in the very bosom of Abraham. He's given a place of honor, the highest honor a Jew can imagine at the time to be laid in the very bosom of the patriarch of the 12 tribes. And he's laid there in paradise. The name of the location is paradise. Jesus gives that. Um, to the thief on the cross when he said this day thou shalt be with me in paradise but the position of the beggar in paradise was in Abraham's bosom right next to Abraham and the rich man also died and was buried and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom 
Now, the Bible teaches that hell is in the heart of the earth and it will give up its dead in the last days. Read about it in Revelation, I believe, 20, right around there, verse 11. When death and hell give up the dead that are in them and stand and are judged before God, and death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Hell will be cast into the lake of fire. The Bible says in prophecy that hell hath enlarged itself. There was before Christ a portion of that area area that was reserved for saints and then there was a portion for the lost Jesus Christ descended into the lower parts of the earth according to the scripture led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men he told that thief on the cross this day thou wilt be with me in paradise Jesus went down to paradise and he preached to those saints that had already believed in the Messiah and he told them of his completed finished work and they shouted hallelujah and they burst up out of there and your Bible even tells you that after his resurrection many of the saints rose from the dead and preached in Jerusalem that stuff doesn't get much press but it's in the Bible and then he went on to heaven to glory and all those saints went up to glory with him so this paradise that he's talking about is no longer there hell hath enlarged itself Paul Paul preached that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord as soon as a Christian dies, they are present with the Lord, and he is not in paradise in the center of the earth. He is in heaven with God, seated at the right hand of the Father, and that's where a Christian goes today. And the heart of the earth, whether that is a spiritual, literal spiritual place in the heart of the earth, or whether it's an observable place in the heart of the earth, who really cares? It's real, and it'll be real enough to you if you go there. So I'm not even, I don't even care about arguing about that junk. I believe it. The Bible says it's there. I believe it. <coughs> now, <coughs> now here's um, Abraham seen afar off, seen Lazarus, in, or the rich man seen Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And get this right here, verse 26 of Luke 16. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Separation. There is a separation. The parable goes that Jesus in the end times will be like a shepherd who separates the sheep from the goats and puts the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. He says to the sheep to enter into the joy of the Lord and he says to the goats, depart from me ye cursed. So here he says in verse 27, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. All these people that don't want their family to get saved are going to have a change of tune when they get to hell. 
Listen to me today. You think your family would be upset if you get saved because your daddy and mommy were Roman Catholic? And you say, well, the Bible is obviously not Roman Catholic, and Roman Catholic has nothing to do with the Bible. And if I don't get saved, I'm going to go to hell. But I can't do that. My daddy and mommy believe this way. I've got to believe this way. Your daddy and mommy would, the only thing that they can have any kind of good hopes for is that you don't go where they are. That's given to us by this here, Lazarus crying out that his brethren would not come there. I'm sorry, the rich man crying out that his brethren would not go there. And he says, Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, that's the Bible, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will, not, they will repent. And he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead, which came absolutely true, absolutely true whenever Jesus Christ rose from the dead and they still wouldn't believe. Revelation 20 speaks of the final separation. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Do you hear that today? And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away and he that sat upon the throne said behold I make all things new and he said unto me write for these words are true and faithful and he said unto me it is done I am alpha and omega the beginning and the end I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely he that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death there's a separation that is coming those that are sinned to the resurrection of the damned according to Jesus those that have been saved by the grace of God believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to the resurrection of the just to the resurrection of the righteous that's seen in um, let's go Go ahead and go to John 5 29, then we'll go back to Matthew, Lord willing. Um, John 5 29, Acts 24 speaks of a resurrection both of the just and of the unjust. But John 5 29 here, Jesus Christ um, in his bodily presence preaches about the two resurrections. John 5 29, um, verse 28, marvel not at this for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection
generation of damnation. There is a separation that is coming, a separation by death that is coming to every one of us in this room, every one of us that ever listens to this podcast, every one of us that ever walks up and down the street, whether we know it or not. There is a separation that is coming to all of us. There are separations by choice and there are separations by natural causes that you have no choice in. Another simple separation by natural cause could be famine or drought. And we can see that in the book of Ruth. Naomi and her husband moved to the land of Moab to get away from the drought and they left Bethlehem, the place of their habitation. They left their family. They left their friends and her husband and her two boys died in the land of Moab and never saw their family again. They were separated by drought, by famine by a lack of food and by need. There are other reasons and these reasons for separation are the ones specifically um, dealt with by Paul in this section. There are other reasons for separation and that would be by the uh, evil actions of others. One of those evil actions of others he says we were taken from you. One of those evil actions would be war. In 1 Samuel 29, um, David gathered his army and went with his um, commander, his Philistine commander, to fight against his own people. God kept it from happening, but he left his family in Ziklag. He left his family behind because of war. They didn't choose the war. Mrs. David didn't choose the war. But the war came and Daddy David had to leave David's kids and go to war. Those children didn't choose the war. David didn't choose the war. But because of the evil fighting and striving of other people, David had to leave and he had to go to war. And then we find out the next kind is in the next chapter there, 1 Samuel 30, and that's kidnapping or men stealing. The Bible calls it men stealing and gives the death penalty for it. Um, and and that is what happens in 1 Samuel 30. When David got sent home, he gets back to Ziklag and it has been burned with fire. And the enemies of the people of the Lord had come up and burned Ziklag and taken all the women and children captive by the sword. And so you had a separation by the kidnapping, by the taking away, the physically grabbing and carrying away of David's children and his wives. How would you feel about that? That'd be a mess. It says that David and his men fell on the ground and wept. And the men got so discouraged, they spake of stoning David. And it says there in in the text in 1 Samuel 30 that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And this goes back to what Paul was talking about. Neither counted I my life dear unto myself. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And then he got up and he got to work and he got going and he prayed and he sought God. And he said, should I go down and chase them? And God said, go get them and you'll get and you will without fail recover all. And David, in the faith of that word, marched hungry and tired and worn out, and he chased them down, and he whipped them, and he took back his wife, and he took back his children, and they recovered all. And they got reunited, praise the Lord. How do you think they felt about that? How do you think those little children felt? Listen up, young man. How do you think those little children felt whenever they came, whenever they looked over the hill, and they saw the Amalekites and all these others falling before the swords of their daddy 
and his soldiers. And they looked up and they saw Daddy David riding his horse into the middle of that camp, shouting like a crazy man and swinging his sword and chopping down the enemy left and right with his soldiers shooting arrows and, and poking with spears. How do you think those ladies felt when they saw their husbands riding in there, shouting with the fury of God on their faces? I think they about just about just fell in love all over again is what I think. I think there was some romance revolution that happened after that. You talk about some rejoicing. You talk about some shouting. There's, but there's separation. Do you hear me? There's separation that comes because of war. There's separation that becomes because it comes because of kidnapping. There's legal kidnapping and there's illegal kidnapping. But it's all kidnapping, all men stealing, and God will condemn all that enter into that trade, whether they do it with a government ID and badge and writ and warrant, or whether they do it in a some kind. of of back alley black market deal God's gonna judge all men stealers but listen to me a sovereign God the almighty God the God that hangs the earth in the sky the God that commands the universe to turn in its orbits allows bad things to happen and because bad things happen there is separation that comes and the separation causes grief even though you know that God is in control. Do you hear me today? So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to get mad at God and hate God because he allowed something bad to happen? <coughs> or will you trust God and believe God that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose? Those ladies, when they saw their husbands riding into camp, all the suffering that they'd been through was worth it, whether they admitted it or not. Do you hear me? Whether they admitted it or not, when they saw their husbands riding into that camp to rescue them, and they got to watch firsthand their captors get driven off and killed and put to flight and chased down, and their husbands rode by them, shouting death at their enemies, Give them a little wink on the way. Hey, honey, I'll be back later. They didn't care what they'd gone through. It worked together for good. And listen to me today. We've got bad things happening. There's imprisonment in Acts 12. Peter gets thrown in jail. He should have been with the church, and they're up all night praying without Peter. Where's Peter? He's in jail asleep. And they're all praying. There's separation through imprisonment. John Bunyan got separated from his family for nine years in prison. Nine years that he suffered in, in a jail cell because he wouldn't go and obey illegal laws. <clears throat> illegal by God's law. But whenever God brings this thing all down, when it's all done, when Jesus Christ splits the eastern sky and comes back for his bride, who's been harassed by the enemy, do you hear me? And calls her up to glory and then brings her back to whip the enemies of God seven years later. When God does that, it's going to be worth it. Until then, it's going to be grief. Do you hear me? There's 
going to be grief. Look at me. There's going to be separation. There's going to be sadness. There's going to be hard things. But it will be worth it because God is in control. Matthew 6, he says here, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. You cannot focus on more than one thing at a time. And if your focus is on the earth, your light will be darkness. If your focus is on Christ, your light will lighten your whole being. Christ will lighten your being. And what darkness can enter? Look at me. Pay attention to me. You can be in a dark room, a dark room with all the windows and doors shut and one little opening and you put your eye up by that opening and you can see the sun, you will be full of light and your circumstances won't matter as far as the amount of light that you're full of. Does that make sense? When your eyes are on Jesus, your circumstances don't matter. When you focus on Jesus, when you love Jesus, your whole body is full of light. This is how martyrs can go to the stake to be burnt while singing praises to Jesus Christ. This is how a young mother, as Pastor Reggie put up not too long ago, can have her baby taken away from her. Her nursing baby taken from her and given to a pagan and she got paraded out into the middle of a giant coliseum in Rome and an angry bull turned loose on her and she sang praises to Jesus, held her head high for Jesus. The bull charged her and hit her and threw her in the air over its back. She landed on the ground with broken bones and she stood up and sang for Jesus till the bull turned and rushed on her and gored her to death and she never backed up for Jesus. How could she do that? Because the light of her eye was on Jesus and her whole body was full of light. Her treasure was laid up in heaven. Her eyes were on Jesus. Her eyes were on heaven and the separation of a moment could not quench the glory of the Son of God. This is why John and Betty Stam could lay their little baby in the little bassinet by the bed and cover it up with its, bank, with its blankets and pray over the baby and then walk out the door of their house to meet a crowd of angry boxer rebellion Chinese. Hundreds of angry, shouting Chinese pagans who thought that all white men were really devils and not really people and had come to tear them apart. And John and Betty Stam held hands and sang a hymn and walked up the street to meet the crowd, the mob that was coming to kill them. 
How can they do that? The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. You've got to get your eyes on Jesus. You've got to have an eternal focus. You've got to stop looking at the temporal and you've got to look at the eternal and get your eyes heavenward. Separation happens to everybody. Separation happens all over the world for all kinds of reasons. He says we were taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. In presence, not in heart. He says in our heart, we did not want to be separated. But we had to be. We were forced to be separated. But we were not separated in heart. In heart, we still loved you. In heart, we still wanted to be with you. In heart, we still cared about you. But because God in his sovereignty allowed the enemy to do something evil, we could not be with you. He even goes on and says, we endeavored the more abundantly to see you, to see your face with great desire. He said, we wanted death desperately to be with you we desired to be near you and we endeavored we worked hard to be near you and we'll find out that it didn't work and we'll study that out lord willing tomorrow but they endeavored and in spite of their attempts in spite of everything they tried to do to prevent the separation it still came it still came but they were able to persevere in joy and love and empower because their eyes were on heaven and they counted their lives not dear to themselves, but they wanted to finish their course with joy. He says here, and we'll end in Matthew um, 6, kind of in the middle of the thought, but it's just where the verse breaks. So that's where we'll stop. He says here, no man can serve two masters, Matthew 6, 24, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, <clears throat> nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are, not, are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Who here can think himself another foot and a half taller than he is? It doesn't work that way, does it? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. And then here's where we wanted to get as we close. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to bear patiently the cross of grief and shame. Help us, Lord, to lay up treasure in heaven, 
Help us, Lord, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and to love not our lives, even unto the death, Father, but to lay down our lives for the brethren and for the lost and dying world, to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to have an eternal focus, and not to be caught up, Lord, in the cares of this life, with an evil eye, Lord, and darkness in our body. Give us singleness of eye, singleness of heart, singleness of purpose, singleness of mind. In Jesus' name and for Christ's sake, amen.